Though my sins were scarlet, you've made me white as snow. (laughs) Think about that. No matter what you've done, the cross is enough for our salvation. And I tell you, that's, um, I don't know, if I didn't hear anything else this morning, that was enough for me to be reminded of what Jesus has done. And as we look at Isaiah 53 and we look at the suffering servant, we, we see the extent of what it meant for Jesus to come and die on our behalf. And Isaiah 53, let's, let's read through it again. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted. He did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and who can speak of his descendants? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. It was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. And though the Lord made his life a guilt offering, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I give a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Lord, thank you for Isaiah's words to us this morning. And may we hear what the Spirit would have us hear, Lord, uh, through this passage. May, may you speak beyond and through this, this servant. May it not just be my words, Lord, but may your Holy Spirit do the work that I cannot do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we're, we're working through uh, the suffering servant, and this is, I believe this is week three, and uh, we'll work through this, and actually through Easter we'll be in the suffering servant and looking at Isaiah 53, this, this ancient passage that's written hundreds of years before Jesus that, that points to Jesus, this, uh, this great prophecy of, of how this Messiah would live and die and save many. And, and, and we've been looking at this as we, as we rethink our lives. We've been using the phrase rethink. And uh, we, we've used Socrates' quote that the unconsidered life is not one worth living. And we've talked about how we need to rethink our lives. That, that this doesn't mean we just look to change our lives, but our lives should always be evaluated. That, that we shouldn't ever just, just settle for the status quo, but we, we should look at our lives, how we're living, how we're thinking, our values, and, and, and just be careful that we don't get caught up in drift in our life. It's so easy just to drift with the culture or, or, or to have familiarity, blindness, that, that we get accustomed to something in our life. 
And the truth is, most if not all, there's areas of your life that things have crept in. That maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you would not have accepted, but now you do. And so it's important that we have periods that we, we examine our faith. And in fact, and Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13.5, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. And so Lent is a period of time in the church, this period before Easter, before the crucifixion. Lent is a period of self-examination, of fasting, of, of considering our life. And it's good to build these kind of times into our life. And, and we've been looking at the suffering servant, and we, we've talked about uh, wisdom and power, and we've talked about, uh, today we're going to talk about reputation. Uh, you know, how rethinking our reputation, and really we're going to be rethinking our identity, our self-identity, how we see ourselves. And, and the passage that will be the primary text is Isaiah 53, 2 and 3. Let's read this again. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. This is an image of Jesus, and, and I don't know what your image of Jesus is. When you, when you think of Jesus, how, how do you think he was received? How do you think you would have received him? I, I think all of us hope that, that if Jesus were to walk through those doors, we would recognize him and love him for who he is and who he, who he was. And, and, and so I think we all have that hope. And, and, and it was true that, that many people love Jesus. There was a great deal, of, a great following of Jesus, and, and many had a great love for him and had a great respect for him. But Jesus was not loved by all. As a matter of fact, a great many of these followers loved him when he was doing the things that they wanted him to do in their life. When, when, when he was, a, when he was a, a, a soda machine Jesus, that they could push a button and get what they wanted. They loved him and valued him. But when they, he began to call them to something more, when it was no longer about healing or being fed, when it was no longer just about teaching, but was an expectation many began to reject Jesus. And you see this over and over. Je Jesus performs these great miracles and, and people begin to follow him and he'll say things like, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, and they would just desert him. And so he, he was loved and he had, he had many that followed him, but, but, but not all loved him. Not, not too long ago, and I, I can't remember if we did this during Lent last year or not, but we did the Not a Fan series. Remember that series? And, and, and there's a lot of fans of Jesus, but, but, but when Jesus calls you to follow, sometimes that causes people to turn away. And, and certainly you see this in the life of Jesus, that, that he wasn't esteemed by the great many. There, there were some that just couldn't stand him, that hated him. And Jesus was accused of all sorts of things. You just read the gospel accounts. He was accused of breaking tradition. That he didn't keep with tradition. He was accused of breaking the law. He was accused of blasphemy. Think about that. He is the word incarnate. 
And they're saying, you're not speaking truth. And he was truth. He was accused of being demon-possessed. He was accused, or his family gathered around him at times, and it almost was as if they were questioning whether he was mentally balanced, or whether he had went off a cliff, or he went around the bend, or, 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 or you know, whatever what a phrase you want to use. He was, he was a brick shy of load, you know, and he needed some help. And his family came to him as if he needed help. When you read the Scripture... And, and some suggest this as you read it. Even his very birth comes into question. The legitimacy of his birth. And some of the things that people say to Jesus could have been interpreted as a slight on the birth narrative that perhaps he was not of legitimate birth. He was called a glutton and a drunk. Jesus was accused of many things. He said, well, yeah, fine, Pastor. The, the, the people that, that didn't understand him, the people that didn't want to follow him, yeah, they accused him. But he had these disciples that just loved and, and they just rose and fell on every word. And even those closest to him. There's, there's times they didn't understand what he was saying. He's going to Jerusalem. He's saying, you know, it's time. I'm going to die on a cross. And what's Peter do? Uh-uh. No. You're wrong. You're not going to do that. So even those closest to him at times did not value him like they should have. So let's, let's put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus. How would you do if you were Jesus? How would you do in your mission and what you were trying to accomplish if though, even those, those that weren't close to you were accusing you of being demon-possessed and those closest to you were questioning your sanity or questioning whether you even knew what you were doing? And yet Jesus continues. Regardless of reputation or, or what others thought. And, and I think probably the better word is not real reputation, but self-identity. Who Jesus knew that he was. See, see Jesus' self-identity was not wrapped up in the opinions of the crowd, in the opinions of his friends, in the opinions of his culture. But Jesus' self-identity was wrapped up in what God said. He was God approved. And the only approval that he desired or needed was the approval of God. And you have these two highly significant, very open times. Jesus is baptized. And he's baptized, when he's baptized out of heaven, these words are spoken. This is my beloved son and whom I'm well pleased. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration and, and, and Peter and John aren't really getting what's going on there. And, and once again, God speaks from heaven. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he adds, listen to him. Those are the public times that Jesus heard those words and others heard those words. I, I'm of the belief that Jesus heard those words often in the private times. <laughs> 
that, that the public times weren't just for Jesus, but for the people that were following Jesus. And oftentimes, Jesus found himself in private times with the Father where the Father could intimately say, you're my son, and I'm proud of you. You're my son, and you're valuable, and you matter. And what you're doing is according to my will. See, Jesus' identity was wrapped up in the approval of the Father. And it kept him moving. Um, It kept him moving when he was maligned, uh, when he was questioned, when when followers deserted him, when when things got tough, when when it wasn't according to the culture or what the community valued, when when those who were in authority began to accuse him of terrible things, Jesus was able to continue in his task and his goal and his role because his identity was wrapped up in the approval of the Father. Now, now Jesus understood the other pressures. (laughs) He understood the pressures of the day. There's this great um, passage in Luke 16. In Luke 16, 14, that the, the, it says the Pharisees who loved money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you're the ones who just, justify yourselves in the eyes of men, but God knows your hearts. What is highly valued among men is detestable in God's sight. In other words, Jesus is saying, listen, your identity is all wrapped up in what other people say and what, what the community values, what the culture values, but my heavenly Father has a different agenda and a different, different value system. And you can get caught up in all those things, but it doesn't matter for eternity and it doesn't matter from our, my Father's perspective. So that's Jesus. But what about my identity and your identity and how I perceive myself? See, see, our identities, who we are, can be wrongly determined. And if it's wrongly determined, it will keep us from doing the things that God wants us to do with our life. We can be driven by the crowds and and the crowd's value and our culture's value. And we can be driven by the opinions of others and God's inviting us to something else. Our identities can be driven by like this, guys. Go ahead. Do I need to be liked? Absolutely not. I like to be liked. I enjoy being liked. I have to be liked. But it's not like this compulsive need to be liked, like my need to be praised. (laughs) We can all turn into Michael Scott, and it's all about being liked, what other people think about us, whether whether we're going to be praised, whether it's going to be valued by our culture. We need to rethink our identities. Who and or what will we allow to define our self-identity? And I think there's several, there's several forces that go into defining our identity that, that can wrongly steer us. It can, it can rightly steer us, some of these as well, but, but, but it can wrongly steer us. I, I think family expectations, what, what our families speak into our lives. You know, I, I'm thankful, 
I'm thankful for godly, uh, godly parents. I'm thankful for a godly mom and dad that, that, that spoke godly values. But, 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 but they weren't perfect, and when they were imperfect, I have to be careful that, that I don't allow their imperfect expectations to create something different than God's expectation in my life. And so it's possible in your life, you, you've had family members speak values into your identity that is contrary to God's. I, I, most of you know, I, you know, I, I did law and practice law for many years, and, and we did, uh, my, my partner did a lot of Social Security disability, and, and Social Security disability, anytime you do Social Security disability, there ends up being a psychological issue, or, or there could be, and so all these psychological evaluations were done, and, and I was always amazed. People in their, their late 50s, their early 60s, talking about what a parent said when they were 12 or 13 and how it affected how they looked at themselves. The power of a parent's words can be profound. And the truth is, some of you may have had parents that didn't speak blessing in your life and didn't speak value in your life, but they spoke something different and you're still struggling with your identity because of what a family member or someone close to you have said. I think unrealistic expectations can affect our identity. You know, teenagers in sports and you don't make a certain team and all of a sudden you're not as worthwhile as someone else. Or, or, or you don't get the grade that you thought you should get, and, and all of a sudden your identity has been destroyed because of a, a coach or teacher. Or, Sarah, I'll, I'll protect you, or your lack of study for that test. Work. What someone says about you at work, whether you, whether you get a promotion, whether you get the corner office, and, and, and whether anything happens in your workplace that, that, that lifts you up and encourages you and, and sets you apart can determine your identity. Toxic relationships can mess with our identity. Culture. Your culture says you got to have the right home, the right car, the right job, the right income, the right body shape. Nothing wrong with pursuing the right home, the right car, the right job, the right income, the right body shape. But when our value, our identity is set on those things, then we begin to miss what God sees in us. See, God wants to define your identity. He does not want you to, 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 to allow your identity, who you are, what you're called to do, to be set by the crowd or the culture. But God wants to define your identity. And what He wants you to be is beloved son or daughter engaged in the will and the business of the Father. See, what God thinks is what matters, not what others think. So let me ask you some questions. Are there things God is calling you to do that you are refusing to do 
because of what others might think or say. It is the opinions of others keeping you from finding your way in God. And that could, that could go the spectrum. That, that could be from finding relationship with Him because you're afraid other people will say, oh, well, look at that person. To serving Him in a more particular way. Are there things that you're not doing that God's calling you to do because of what others might say? When I think about entering into a relationship with Jesus, what I've seen in most people's lives is a lot of people would be okay and ready and willing, but they're concerned what others might say if they accept Jesus as their Savior. And so the, opinion of, uh, the opinions of others can sometimes keep us from a life-giving relationship. Are there things that you're doing that build your reputation at the expense of the kingdom? In other words, are, are there things that you're doing in your life that, that great, it makes you look good, and it, it, it builds your value in the culture, but it's not doing anything to accomplish anything in the kingdom, or worse, it's detracting from the kingdom. Folks, you realize the kingdom of God is all that matters? The kingdom of God is all that matters. That's the only thing that's eternal. Eternal in what we do for the kingdom and in the kingdom is all that matters. And we build our own kingdoms. And these are, it's just like something built on sand that's going to be gone. And God is inviting us to something more. Are you making space for God to speak His will and approval? In other words, are, are, are you giving God space that He can say, you're my son, you're my daughter, I'm pleased with you, and give you the security that you need just to follow His will wherever it leads? Now, now I've got some great news for you today. This is great news. You can rest in God's approval. You know, there's, there's two ways of looking at this. There is the expectation, and then there's the great news. The gospel is good news, not bad news. It's good news that God has sent His Son, and now you can rest in a relationship with Him. You can be the beloved son or daughter. You can approach the throne with boldness through Jesus Christ. And you may have had... Some that have spoken to your life, disapproval. God wants to speak approval. So some of you have had circumstances, and, and I've had conversations with you, and, and, and these circumstances are still haunting you. Some of them you had no control over, and God is wanting to speak approval in your life right where you are. It's possible that you've got sins that you have confessed and God has forgiven. As far as the east is from the west. And yet oftentimes we bring those things back up. We don't bring them up. I think the enemy of our soul brings those things up so that we don't live in security and the forgiveness of God. 
The good news is, Jesus has come and he has paid the price. Though our sins were scarlet, he has made us white as snow. And you can rest in a clean identity and relationship with Jesus Christ, regardless of your past. That is great news. There's also some great expectations. God is calling us to live beyond our culture's expectations. To have a different set of values than, than, than what we see on television or in our neighborhoods or in our communities. God is calling us to a different set of values where His opinion is what matters most. The truth is, it's not an elimination of joy and peace and fun and laughter. It's where we find true joy, peace, and laughter. But God is calling us to let go of some of these things that keep us from serving Him and building His kingdom and resting in the approval of God. That the most important thing you hear is, this is my good and faithful Son with whom I'm well pleased. This morning I was reading in my Bible, and I'm in Numbers. And I guess that, that's the value of finding um, a, a reading plan that, that you, takes you through the Bible at least once a year because it makes you read books like Numbers and Leviticus. You know, in my private time when I'm just wanting to read through the Bible, I don't pick up Leviticus or Numbers or start reading through it. I don't know if anybody else does. But I was reading through Numbers, and it just hit me. God's, it's the census, and, and, and God is numbering all the people. And then there's this exclusive group who are the Levites. You guys know the Levites, right? These are my priests. There's the people, and then there's the Levites. And the Levites were what? They were the people that were supposed to make intercession for the rest of the people before God. Right? Had this special role, and, and, and you know, they didn't look at the rest of the people as us versus them. It was just they were their intercessors. Can we make this a New Testament concept? See, God's shifted things a little bit. And it's not about, you know, the, the Levites are not the priest and the evangelist, you are the Levites and the priest. I am going to create a nation. A people of priests. You are the intercessors for God. And so there's not, this isn't about whether they're saved or covered by the blood, but it's our responsibility. There's, there, there's not us versus them. It's not Christian versus a non-Christian and Christian versus Jehovah Witness or Christian versus Muslim or Christian versus Jew. We are the priest of the Most High God and these are people that we should be making intercession on behalf of. That as the suffering servant came as an intercessor for others, we, are bid, we have been bid to come and die on behalf of other folks. Because the opinions of others do not, does not matter. Only the opinion of God matters. That is big expectation. And, and the truth is, much like Jesus came, and in my Armenian understanding, that the blood of Jesus is sufficient for all, 
Even though Jesus came and died for all, not all would receive. And the truth is, God calls us to intercede, to live and to die on behalf of others, and not all will receive. Who's setting your opinion? Who's setting your identity? Who's setting your reputation? We'll give you a space. It's 20 after. And so uh, I've been going for about 28 minutes and 27 seconds, 28 seconds, 29 seconds. A little bit under 30 minutes. And so all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Could, could we put some music on, Clint or Ryan? And uh, I want to give you some space. How can we talk, not talk about the suffering servant and what Jesus has done without giving you space to pray? And, and you can pray in your pews, but maybe you want to spend some time at the altar and uh, just talk to him there. And then about three or four minutes, Pastor Bob's going to come and lead us in prayer.